Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Any day you beat Real Madrid in a football match would be considered a good day. But if you're a tiny Catalan club playing them for the very first time at this particular moment in history, it's got to make that victory taste even sweeter, just a tiny bit sweeter. Hello and welcome to Monday Second Captain's Football Podcast. Hi there, fellas. Good morning. Hello, there, Owen. How you doing? Little Girona in their first ever match against Real sent the Madrid boys packing from the 13,500 capacity Estadio Montalivi with a 2-1 defeat. Apologies for my pronunciation there. My Spanish, okay. sorry, excuse me, my Catalan pronunciation. <laughs> uh, so it's a two and defeat against the backdrop of some political turbulence in that region in recent weeks. What? You might have heard about that. Mm. Yeah, Murph, you've got to start reading the news, broaden your mind. Mm. The Catalan leader, Carles Puigdemont, is from Girona. Again, apologies on pronunciation. And he tweeted, the victory of Girona FC against one of the great teams in the world is an example and a benchmark for many situations. Smiley, winky face. <laughs> a nice little, uh, is that sort thing. of like a, a personal self-improvement type message, you know? Could be. Uh, or or is it something more on? Uh, I mean, I suppose he has left it open for us to decide there. We're going to be talking to Kieran Canning in Madrid a little bit later on. Got an email in that I had really meant to read on Friday, but better late than never. How are you, lads? In Richie's voice. Mm-hmm. My name is Dermot Bean, but everyone calls me Bino. I'm a huge fan. You know Bino. Bino gets in touch quite a lot. Yeah. yeah. I'm yeah, a huge yeah. fan for a very long time, as is my brother Fergal. I'm also a World Service member because I support independent journalism, and I'm not one of those low-life, blood-sucking Monday podcast freeloaders. <laughs> <laughs> and hello again, and welcome to the podcast. <laughs> you see, I did say I meant to read this out on Friday. Yeah. <laughs> this is the kind of stuff that goes on in the world. There's bad-mouthing. Uh, Just all you guys. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Anyway, I'm going to get to the point of this email. I am running, in inverted commas, the Dublin City Marathon on Sunday. That's yesterday for the Laura Lynn Children's Hospice. It's the only children's hospice in the country and they do wonderful things for terminally ill children and their families. As you can see, I've used the old inverted commas around the word running because I'm not exactly one of those long distance runners you see bounding along the roads like a majestic gazelle. Once I go above 10 miles, my legs tend to say to my brain, what the hell are you doing here? Do you realize how heavy the top half of our body is? We aren't helping you anymore. Fuck you. (laughs) From then on, it is a long, hard slog. I've always only let myself listen to your podcast while I am running as a form of psychosomatic self-manipulation to get me out there. So I have to thank you for my fitness and health. I don't know if you really... I, I think you're not giving yourself enough credit, Bino, for your own You have played work. some part yeah. in this, we're, we're not running these miles for you. But anyway, back to the email. So for my long-distance runs, I always stockpile a few of your pods to dilute the pain I'm about to endure. This week will be no different, as I'll be saving all of this week's pods to listen to during the marathon. So that's last week's pods. My request to you is maybe mention me in a couple of the podcasts by saying, go on, Bino, or hang in there, Bino. Or even, Bino, I sincerely hope you are still alive. Any mention at all will be that extra motivation I need to drag myself over that finish line. Cheers from Bino. Well, congratulations to everybody who completed the marathon yesterday. I do apologise, Bino. I can only hope you're listening to this on a gentle recovery run during the week post-marathon after a wildly successful debut. Maybe you went, I don't know, two hours, 30 minutes, something Mm. like that. Surprise yourself even. Yeah. Or maybe he's not going to listen to this until he starts training for next year's marathon. When would you do that? Like July of 2018? Four four months tends to be... 
four months out. So July, okay. September, July. I've got August June. there. September. Yeah, yeah, end of June. Okay. Yeah, Grant. You want me Hopefully, going, Ireland are going still going in the World Cup. Uh, maybe we've reached the World Cup semi-final. Uh, so, Bino, well done on the Dublin Marathon and enjoy Ireland against, you know, I don't know, whoever in the World Cup semi-final. We'll take them all on. Now, if you want to avoid getting called names by the likes of Bino there, there's only one way to shed the tag of low-life, blood-sucking podcast freeloaders, and that's to sign up right here, right now, just in time for our 1,000-ever podcast. That's this Thursday on the World Service. If you've been there for a lot of those pods over the last four or five years, you really should be there for episode 1,000. I think so, anyway. Don't you think? Very special guest. You think so, Murph, don't you? Of course, yeah. of course. So. A very special guest has been confirmed for that one. We can guarantee it is going to get you even more excited at the upcoming World Cup playoff. Last week, we heard the amazing story behind the stalking of Italian striker Fabio Quagliarella on the World Service. And Neville Southall popped onto the podcast to show everybody how much of a lovely bloke Neville Southall is. I just like to know what makes people tick because what you've got to remember is that I had 10 numbers in front of me that I had to move around the pitch. And I had to try and work out whether I could give one of them a bollocking or I had to put my arm around one in a vocal way. So I had to try and work out what I had in front of me to sort of move people around. And a lot of the times in them days, a lot of them just didn't mind a bollocking. But a few of them was quite like, well done, move over there, can you do that better? Brilliant, well done. So you, you know, your positive stuff and, and some people like the negative stuff. Yeah, if you're an Everton fan, you'd be doing yourself a favour by forgetting about what's going on at the moment and getting a bit of Neville Southall back into your life <laughs> by signing up. Secondcaptains.com is the place to do it. It's only a fiver a month plus fat. Now, okay, let's report on some sport, please. So, I'm not sure where to start on because there's so many possible places. I think maybe, um, maybe Everton. Uh, Everton, who have lost now through two matches under David Owens. Remember, we were saying that Everton supporters were uh, applauding them at Stamford Bridge for the gallant manner of their defeat to Chelsea. Well, it wasn't really happening at the Theatre of Poppies. Uh, which is what Leicester City's uh, ground transformed itself into for the day. Literally a man completely swathed in poppies from head to toe. I, saw some, I don't know if you saw Henry Winter's tweet. Uh, yeah, and I saw somebody making the point that a David Squires cartoon has come to life. Yeah, <laughs> David Squires had tweeted something similar to that. Yeah, and this well, was had, something uh, we actually saw. A man yeah, in what, what appeared to be a beekeeper's suit, which was completely festooned with poppies, just leaving him enough room around the face for his eyes to peep out so he didn't walk out in front of a bus. So this is the kind of stuff that was happening at, uh, at Leicester. Sacrifice, heroism, these things were in the air. Um, maybe this is what put it into Joey Barton's head. Uh, to bring up this military reference that he makes in discussing uh, David Unsworth, Everton's caretaker manager. He says, I saw him getting on the coach as Everton manager the other day. He doesn't look right. He's waddling onto the coach. I was reading a British Army service manual the other day. One of the things it says is, you've got to be fit to lead your troops into battle. Now, I'm not saying you can't manage Everton if you're overweight, but it certainly doesn't look right. Says, uh, he's standing in his suit on the touchline, continues Joey Barton. He doesn't look like a manager for me. He's a glorified PE teacher who shouldn't be in charge of a men's team. Look at him on the touchline. He's more like a steward. Uh, so. There appear to be lots of things you could uh, attack David Unsworth with, but this is just ad hominem and, you know. How can you get your players to exert themselves physically when you're out of shape? Um, anything Joey Barton says, I couldn't care less, says David Unsworth. Um, although, you know, he's he addresses this issue of, of David Unsworth looking frumpy on the sideline. And does that matter? I think it does. It actually does. Because what you're dealing with here is an audience of uh, young, shallow men who care a lot about appearances. They care more about appearances than than anything. Than anything else. Uh, and it's only getting a little bit more that way as, as every year goes by. Uh, you're talking about the players here. You're talking players, about players, football yeah. players. Um, yeah, and, and it shouldn't matter, but it does. I mean, what Joey Barton is saying there is he's, he's kind of right for the wrong reasons. I mean, I, I think it seems to me as though maybe Joey Barton and David Unsworth didn't always get on in the past. If, you know, if they came across each other, possibly there may be some existing animosity there. It's, it does sound a bit like that. Because, you know, otherwise it's just not something that you'd necessarily... It's something you'd think but not say, you know? Um, as to why is it important for, for managers to, to look the part? Well, 
I was reading Maurizio Pochettino's season diary, Owen. Um, that is the Guillaume Balaguer book? This is Guillaume Balaguer yeah, yeah. Uh, with, with Pochettino. But, you know, um, uh, he, he's actually written it in the form of a first-person season diary. You know, it's like, I, this, I, that. It's in Pochettino's voice. You know, that's it's authorised to that extent. Um, it's got a few uh, things that, like, uh, what, what's an... One unusual section of it has, you know, glowing testimonials about how amazing Pochettino is from people like Adam Lallana, um, Luke Shaw. I mean, Luke Shaw loves Pochettino so much. I mean, it's it's like an extended love letter to Maurizio Pochettino in the back of this book, like talking about how he, he basically, you brought me into the world, you gave me, you made me everything that I am, you know? Um, which does, it does really look as though the Danny Rose, Luke Shaw swap is going to have to happen. Uh, Danny Rose is in the book saying Pochettino is amazing. When I think about who my best friend is at the club, I automatically think of a player. But when I really think about it, my best friend is obviously the manager, says Danny Rose. Adam Lallana, uh, talking about meeting Maurizio Pochettino for the first time. Um, when Fonch said there was a rumour about Pochettino, this is when Lallana's at Southampton, obviously, I had to look him up in Google. Um, anyway, um, blah, blah. They met, uh, they met Pochettino. It was January and snowing. He must have been waiting a while in the boardroom. Then Maurizio eventually came in with Tony and Mickey, Tony and Mickey being his, uh, you know, two of his, of his staff. I'll never forget. Maurizio came in. He was in a suit. He looked amazing. He had a fragrance on, overdid it a bit, but I was impressed <laughs> straight away. His staff weren't in a suit. They looked more informal, jeans and a shirt, whatever. Great impression straight away. And a hug. <laughs> and, you know, Lallana was blown away by Pochettino just on a just on the he's like yeah this guy he you know I remember Capello talk, or Carragher rather talking about Capello oh he just looked the absolute bollocks you know he just looked the absolute bollocks like the glasses the suit everything and that, this is literally what this is what it's about you know, well, but surely this is idiotic though that, I mean it, it, Joey, say, Martin, Joey Martin might be right but I mean that doesn't mean that the situation is right. The situation is wrong. No, of course, of course it's right. People shouldn't be judged on appearances, but because they shouldn't be doesn't mean that they aren't. <laughs> you know, this is just one of those cruel things about the world. Well, it's also particularly true in recent years, isn't it? When you look at world leaders, there's been a lot, a lot of these think pieces written about the new Trudeau and bloody Varadkar going oh. around, running around Phoenix Park. We're supposed, having to, be a grand impressed by time. This. We're supposed well, to be impressed by the little, vigor maybe. and the youthfulness of these leaders. Apparently. It's a way to do it, by, by the sound of things. Um, but look, it's, you know, po- Pochettino thinks about this stuff a lot. I mean, he, a lot of the book is devoted to his weight, his, his battle against the bulge. Um, he just is in a constant cycle of, of like bloating up, slimming down, and doing the same thing all over again, you know, because he, he loves his food. He's, he's a guy with, with healthy appetites for life. And food, uh, junk food. After a defeat, he goes home, stuffs himself with pizza. Uh, not a single vegetable. <laughs> so I just imagine like the Pochettino house this weekend, just pizza boxes everywhere, <laughs> empty bottles of Malbec. You know, silence from uh, Maurizio because this is a pretty good wrenching defeat, and he's not a he's not an easy man to be around. You know, when they lose, he's, he's, he's kind of trying to um, get them, Tottenham to think as though we have to develop this Real Madrid, we need to, we win all the time mentality. Um, it's quite interesting. But one of the things that, that I didn't know about Pochettino before reading this book that I'm now surprised to learn is that he is a big believer in energy fields, uh, auras, uh, personal magnetism, all this kind of stuff, and the law of attraction. Uh, which he doesn't call by its name, but clearly he believes in. He's always believed, ever since he was a little boy in Murphy. Mauricio Pochettino grew up in a place called Murphy in Argentina. Really? Yeah, Murphy. Yeah. Spelt? Murphy. Wow. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, of course. I mean, if you uh, walk around any South American town, you see loads of Irish surnames. Yeah. Well, Murphy's Murphy is the actual town. Wow. S- Santa Fe province. He's a country boy uh, growing up and surrounded by pigs and cattle. Uh, kicking a ball around his his uh, his farm. Uh, Doesn't sound too dissimilar. <laughs> it's my own Murphy upbringing. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, he he uh, he says ever since he was a boy, he's been able to divert, discern a sort of an energy around people. And he doesn't have any evidence to back it up, but he he kind of feels as though you know he can see the energy and. 
he, won't, he, he uses the positive energy and tries to get away from the negative energy. He says, um, an Argentinian friend told me lemons absorb negative energy and cleanse the air, which is why I have a tray of them in my office. A tray of what? Lemons. Lemons. We all have the potential to see the energy that surrounds objects and people. Although not everyone has honed that sense. For whatever reason, I've been able to develop an ability which allows me to see others' auras. Do I believe in God? Yes, because my parents baptized me and I made my first communion. I do believe, however, there is an external force that differs from the God of Catholic teaching. I often say to my sons, dream, develop the idea before you go to sleep and throw it into the universe. Believe in the stars. Go to sleep and relax. (laughs) Which is about the most demented thing any father has ever said to his son. I don't know how true. relaxed. Yeah, I don't know how relaxed I'd be feeling going to sleep if my dad had just told me to do all the stuff leading up to my yeah. going to sleep. Ever since I was a boy, I've been convinced the universe conspires to help you fulfill your dreams. That's the energy source that I feel is with me. Decisions, personal relationships, and absolutely everything else are a matter of energy. Good or bad, small or large. I also noticed it as a player. When I was the PSG captain, I spent countless hours speaking to fitness coach Feliciano de Blasi, whom I later made my assistant coach at Espanyol. Feliciano brought his energy skills to the forefront and would analyze individuals through their auras. He'd share his experiences with me, and I was fascinated. That's how I gradually learned how to develop that sixth sense. So there you go. I can see it in their auras. I know which path each player is going to take. I'm convinced humans have many mental abilities that are yet to be developed. Being aware of them, however, doesn't make you special or allow you to get it right every time or to win games. Well, we know that. Um, we know that. I mean, he, he it's, it's, it's interesting like how... Pochettino's clearly a coach that does a lot of coaching. You know, he talks about meeting Ferguson in the book and, and how Ferguson said, look, I, I basically decided to step away from coaching about 1988. You know, I felt like I had a better overview, letting other people take care of that. And I was just kind of doing the big picture stuff. But you know, it's like, oh, yeah, it's, it's really cool. I kind of feel as though I need to be on the training field because a lot of this coaching stuff, I think, is relevant to the football that we play. So I'm going to keep doing that. Um, and you can see the Tottenham are really... Uh, are, are a team that has got a lot of automatic, let's say. They, they, they know how to... They've got a, a lot of learned sort of choreographed moves for bring the ball out from the fence, for instance, which is one of the things he's obsessed with. You know, he's one of these managers who is like, you know, kick the ball long is just giving it away. That's not, we're never going to do that. We're going to be bright. We're going to uh, move it out from the fence. We're going to try and, you know, get players free between the lines and all this kind of stuff. So it is all quite choreographed and all intensely coached. He works on this stuff a lot. But what he talks about all the time is attitude. You know, he doesn't, he, he doesn't really go on... I mean, it's clear that he, he puts a big importance on tactics, but all he ever talks about is being brave. You know what I mean? This is what it's actually all about. Um, not, you know, uh, being... Uh, that's that's the whole, the whole key to the game. Uh, it's all about being brave. I love that word in English. We must display bravery at all times. So we send daily messages to this effect in different formats and packaging. Um, he's... It's a case of... He says, this is how we've turned the team with the worst defensive record in the top 10 into the best defense in the division, just by the attitude of the players. Is he, talk, so is he talking physical courage here or the mental m- moral courage that John Giles talks about? Well, physical is kind of taken for granted, but but mentally he basically he wants everybody sort of working harder than the opposition. I mean, there's an example where England played Spain in Alicante. It was nil all. At halftime, 2-0 to Spain at the final whistle. The England internationals returned home happy, reckoning they had given a good account of themselves in the first half before conceding twice in second. I told them, excuse me, but I disagree. At no point did you seek to take the initiative or be brave. Truth be told, it was clear right from the warm-up that Spain were going to win. The only question was whether they'd score in the first minute or the 90th, but the match was a foregone conclusion. Football is all about attitude. Uh, The message was clear. Let's go out there and take the game to them and dictate. So that's... um, now, I wonder what he would have said about the Tottenham-Man United game. The Man United-Tottenham game, I should say, because it was at Old, Tra- at Old Trafford, where I thought the Tottenham were the ones that showed that attitude like Spain, but they were also the ones that lost the game through the really sickening late goal by the most basic imaginable route. Now, what did you make of Jose Mourinho's shushing? I, no, nothing. Nothing. I made nothing of it, really. 
I, I, I'm tending I to switch to off now yeah, when, when yeah. Mourinho does, does something attention-seeking. Yeah, I have to try very hard to care about something or uh, something that Jose Mourinho says or does. I just thought it was a real... I just thought it was a classic. Because the, the game is exactly the type of game which is... which the, the entire game was an example of why people criticize Jose Mourinho even though he has won a lot of trophies. I mean, you compare him to Pochettino. There's no comparison. I mean, they're both. I was just looking at it. Pochettino's never won a trophy as a manager. He's been managing. This is like his tenth season. And Mourinho, by this stage of his career, had won. You know, like everything. As many trophies as he had seasons. I think it's either ten or eleven trophies. But he'd won the Champions League. He'd won the title in in England and Portugal. I think also in Italy. You know, there's no comparison. Um. And yet, which one would you rather have managing your team? Well, I mean, it's that's a more difficult question. It's clear who, who who has been more successful, but who is the better manager? That's much. That's a different question. But Mourinho honestly believes that winning the game is the whole argument. Oh yeah. Like it's, there's no. It's it's not even a case of. I don't think well, he's not feels lucky there. to have got away with that. Yeah. It's just like, you know, suck it. Like I I just. I just won the game. What are you going to say now? Well, exactly all the same stuff we were saying before the game and during the game. You know, it stank. Like, it's it's terrible. It's awful. It's uh, you know the the what he's doing with the players that he's got is it's just embarrassing compared to what Pochettino is doing with his players. There's no. The, the, it's so clear. But then again, it's not. It's not clear. It's like I won the game. It's one nil. And there's a lot of people who will who will line up on that side of the argument and say, well, it's a bet we play the game to win, including Pochettino. Pochettino is, is talking about, there's a, there's a bit where he mentions this, uh, you know, Guardiola has been saying, the result is an empty thing. You know, the result is just a, is, is fool's gold. It's a byproduct. Yeah, the Among real the gold. the most annoying things that, sport, that sports managers, <laughs> in all sports, yeah. Yeah. of course, it's just a process. Exactly. You know, it's like, shut up. Ancelotti and Guardiola <laughs> both saying the process, it's meant yeah. the process, you know. And uh, Pochettino's like, hmm, not sure. Obviously, Mourinho is the other extreme of that. He's like, pros, like, who cares? You know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what goes into the sausage. What I've just made here is a tasty sausage of victory. It costs... Yeah, three hundred million pounds or whatever, <laughs> and it contains some of the some of the most gruesome scenes in the history of Manchester United Football Club went into the making of this sausage. But I give you the three point sausage. victory sausage. Yeah. You know that's and, and like what more is it? Is that not what did you not come here for a sausage? Is that not what you all came here for? Yeah, Pochettino's kind of more. I think Pochettino is ultimately more Mourinho. Actually, he just thinks that. The best way to win is also by doing this. You know, he's not going to go full Guardiola and say it's not winning, losing. Mm. You know, Guardiola's also done a lot of winning. It's a lot easier for him to say that yeah. than it is for Mauricio Pochettino. I mean, I mean, you know, he he, I, I'm sure would say, I I also believe this is the best way to win. We don't play this way because of some aesthetic ideal I have. It's because I just think it's the best way to win football matches. But it's like he's kind of almost standing. He's like I'm above the you know. These cheap bubbles you get for winning, for lo- you know, you don't get them for losing. But like, what matters is what went on in your heart. Mm. But you know, it's kind of like, nah, the, the trophies definitely matter. <laughs> they, the results no, do matter. You're talking out of your arse, Pep. I just think this is the way we should uh, try and get those results, as opposed to, you know, what um, what Mourinho does, where you've got you know a team full of world class players that that doesn't play to win a game, even at home. You know, um, although there were signs early in the season that they could be quite exciting. They did get goals on the board, largely by swatting aside poor teams. Yeah, the goals yeah, are they, coming they, late in the game. Yeah. You know, when it when a team is... Now, they, they obviously scored at nil-nil. They scored the 81st-minute goal at nil-nil yesterday. But previously, when they've been scoring late goals, it's because they've been playing a team that, that's like, okay, we're we're already losing. Let's try and... And then, they're you know, they're, they're freeing people up at the back. Um, the, I mean, there was a little bit of discontent in the sense that the substitution of Marcus Rashford was booed uh, by... A lot of fans at Old Trafford. Um, the substitute scored. Mourinho says, "Yeah, uh, the supporters buy a ticket. Uh, they pay the ticket. They uh, can do what they want. They can they can boo a player that doesn't deserve to be booed. They weren't booing Rashford. <laughs> they, they can boo a player that doesn't deserve to be. Booed. They can boo a player who's working like an animal, even though the game is not going in his direction. They can boo. 
They can they pay for their tickets. They can boo the players. They can boo the manager. <laughs> booing Rashford. <laughs> Nobody was booing They're Rashford. They're saying boo words. Yeah. Boo. Um, Come on, Josie. Jesus. But there you go. Um, so what's what else is happening? Obviously, City managed to win. Conceded a couple of goals, looking a bit unstable, but having so many chances and it didn't really look in doubt for most of the game. Um, the figures really are, are pretty amazing at the moment. From I mean, when you look at the goals, top goals, top top assists. So top scorer in the league is, is Kane, eight goals. Then you've got Aguero and Sterling both on seven with Lukaku. And then you've got Gabriel Jesus and Sané both on six with Murata. <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of frightening um, how, how, how well these players are doing. And the other thing is that a lot of these players have not played um, anywhere. Like Lukaku has played every minute of the season so far. Whereas the City players on the list have mostly played between five and six hundred minutes. So they've, you know, they're, they're kind of amassing these tallies at, at in, in much less playing time. Assists is Kevin De Bruyne top and six, David Silva with six, Pascal Gross of Brighton with five, Mkhitaryan with five, Leroy Sané of City with four. You know? <laughs> it's like Kyle Walker also has four. Um, Are they just going to crush this season? By, you know, January, are we going to have a bit of a cakewalk? Well, look, it does look like it does look that way at the moment. Um, but, you know, Jurgen Klopp, for instance, said something like, well, it looks like they're going to win in January. And Guardiola's like, that's, that's you know, stupid. Uh, because I've never seen a team win the league in January. And, you know, it's it's just unreasonable to think. And I've won a lot that. of leagues by a lot of points. And even yeah. I've never won one in January. Even at Bayern, like, we had to wait till March. You know, uh, he did. Guardiola didn't actually say. Even at Bayern, we had to wait till March. That was just <laughs> me speculating on something he might have said. He didn't say that. Um, so yeah, things going uh, things going pretty well for for them, and not so good for. Can we hear a little bit of Joe Hart? I think we will hear. This is this is Joe Hart. Now, if you saw, you, if you saw what happened, um, the West Ham game at Palace. West Ham were winning two nil, but unfortunately, in the ninety sixth minute. Michael Antonio had the ball, did a David Ginola on it, on it uh, in terms of crossing it from the right wing. Palace went up the other end, Zaha scores, and afterwards, Joe Hart gives an interview. Well, Joe, uh, for yourself, such contrasting emotions, ultimately the, a bitter disappointment for you all at the end, I'm sure. I can't believe we've done that. Um, We've come in quick after the game, probably shouldn't have come in quick after the game, but yeah, I can't believe we've uh, we've fought all the way to the end like that and then been been so unprofessional at the end. You're almost speechless now, is it, is it speechless in the dressing room? Yeah, a little bit. You know, no one does things on purpose in this team, but um, I think it's two points dropped, as simple as that. There's Joe. Real... Live wire in that dressing room, I guess, show hard. <laughs> a real, what Maurizio Pochettino would regard as a positive energy source. You're like a light bulb that just emanates positive energy, Joe. Uh, do, do you not think that's a bit much from Joe Hart? I did feel a bit for Joe Hart. I just can't believe that it's so unprofessional. It's like, well, I'm sure Michael Antonio knows that. Did you see all the saves he, he was making, up. though? All the saves Joe, Joe Hart, Hart was making. Joe made a couple of unbelievable saves. And... I've been a critic of Joe Hartkin. Yeah. Uh, Joe Hart needed this. Th- I thought he was quite an overrated keeper uh, mm. while he was at Manchester City. Yeah. But there are there are times when he produces unbelievable displays of shot stopping and he did that this time out and then still failed to come away with the three points. I could see I could just see why why he, he he's in a position where <laughs> I've done my bit. Yeah. All you need to do is just hold the ball up, just run towards the corner flag. I think I, I think that player. I mean, we know we know how Ginola reacted. I mean, okay, David uh, Jared Houdet called him a traitor and a criminal and said that he'd killed France or whatever. But, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure there was legal stuff going on between those two up till relatively recently. Yeah, for a long time afterwards, yeah, he, there were issues. Ginola just gets really angry whenever it's whenever it's brought mm. up. But he, you know, he still gets angry. You know, because I, I suppose legitimately enough, he feels as though while he did make a mistake, there were still other players on the, on the field and a lot of other Bulgaria things happened. did go pretty much <laughs> unchallenged the entire length of the field and scored the goal that so, denied France entry to the World Cup. So to be called unprofessional is oh, a bit much. It's a bit much coming from Joe Hart. I think, you know, Pochettino 
Pochettino's approach would be to tell Joe Hart to turn that friend upside down. Because there's no point. Here's a lemon. Here's a bowl of lemons. Here's a lemon. Suck on that. This this would cleanse some of your, some of the negative energy. We, you here have two lemons. Frankly, this take is a, this is a lot of negative energy. Just take the ball. Because uh, he he does go around telling players if he sees a player who who appears to be. Uh, I mean, there was details like Danny Rose, and he goes and shakes hands with everybody and looks into their eyes at the start of the day to see what kind of mood they're in. Like, how does he have time to do that? Twenty five players and everybody else. Like going take some. It's dedication, like, to seeing what mood people are in. Yeah, well, there's a lot of junior CGA managers who do the same thing, mm. but it's just to see what the hangover levels are like. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm looking into your eyes. Everyone they're a bit... They're back a bit as they're saying yeah. hello to the manager, yes. Yeah, yeah um, but uh, I, I, I don't know. I think he, he needs to... Uh, Joe Hart should try not to, not to dwell on the dark side uh, so much. It is obviously gooding to let it go like that, but there's no need to go calling your teammates unprofessional. It's not going to help things in the long run I don't think let us wrap today's report on sport I'm having a buzz floating around anyone wants to not give me a shell I don't like the name because you know I, I actually think he's a very good writer mm. but it, it was that this was a, a dig at football people who know the game using statistics uh, to try and undermine people who have eyes ears and common sense. What I'm saying is that sometimes the eyes and ears mislead you. The ears, particularly if it's Paul Merson talking to them, might mislead you. This was a dig at football people who know the game. You know the balls and you know, the stones. Have a proper debate. I'd love to debate him. You could sell tickets for that. All I have to back it up are facts. <laughs> All I have to back it up is the factual record of what, of what took place. Bring it on. This was a dig at football people who know the game. He's the one who's on the attack. Don't forget. Mm. And has been for some time without naming people. He, he mentioned pundits. Mm. Well, who are the football pundits? <laughs> I think they call that on a verbal broadside. You've been on the attack, Ken, but you don't have... You just don't have what it takes to name names. You don't have the balls, Ken. You don't have the stones. <laughs> <laughs> don't have the balls. Yeah, I don't want to put them down. But they seem to want to prove that you don't need to know anything about football to write about it. This was a dig at football people who know the game. You know the balls, can You know the stones. We'll talk a little more now about Real Madrid travelling to Catalonia to play Girona for the very first time and leaving with a 2-1 defeat on this weekend of all weekends. Kieran Canning, pretty crazy stuff yesterday. Crazy stuff on, on the pitch, certainly. I think that maybe Real Madrid's got a bit more lost in the idea of what the atmosphere was going to be than, than Girona themselves. It was obviously... A lot of talk in the the week building up to it with all the momentous events that have been happening in Catalonia and especially just in the two days before the the game on the the Friday when there was the unilateral declaration of independence from the Catalan Parliament and then the um, and then the Madrid the, the Spanish government sort of um, imposing imposing home rule and the Madrid media seemed to build up the atmosphere and attention a lot more than they actually saw at the stadium itself. I mean. The, the the reception for Real Madrid was, was nothing really more than you would get at a normal away game. You know, there was booze for for Cristiano Ronaldo far more than than any Spanish player. There was plenty of Real Madrid fans in in the stands as well, and there was a mixture of of Catalan and, and Spanish flags. But what was really the problem for Real Madrid wasn't what was happening on the stands, but what was happening on the pitch. Um, and it was just such a, a lack a lackadaisical performance from from start to finish. Even though they did go ahead in the game. Um, Girona were, were deserving victors because they, they came back with uh, two quick goals in, in the second half and there was no reaction from Real Madrid at all even after going behind we were so used to this Real Madrid team in particular under Zinedine Zidane coming back and maybe even in games where they, they don't deserve to win finding a way in, in the last sort of 10-15 minutes but there was no reaction at all and now they find themselves eight points behind Barcelona in the league. It's an interesting take on it, Kieran, because I, I would have thought you were going to come on and tell us that the atmosphere was just so intimidating, so crackling, and so above and beyond what's normally at a football game that that Real Madrid were caught up in it. But very not not the case by the sounds of things. They were just sloppy. Yeah, I mean, I think Girona were maybe inspired a bit by it and, and, and feeding off the atmosphere, but it wasn't an atmosphere, a nasty atmosphere, as, as you may have. You know, expected given the, the what's um, going on in the moment. And there's been a number of games recently um, for consensus where you you maybe wouldn't normally go for the the game on paper, but you're expecting you know, maybe there might be um, a bit of a, a tasty atmosphere. But no, I mean 
as I say, the fact that there was there was maybe about about a quarter of the the fans in attendance yesterday were Real Madrid fans, and it's it's only a stadium that only hold, uh, holds thirteen and a half thousand. So it's not like going to to a lot of the the big grounds and intimidating atmospheres that Real Madrid are used to going to if they go and play Atletico away or Barcelona away or big Champions League games um, away from home. It was it was just such a a, a tired performance, I would say, more than anything. And I think that maybe what we've seen from Real Madrid in the past couple of months, when we, at the start of the season, where we thought this was a, an all-conquering team, and it was at the time, you know, having won uh, the Champions League for the second consecutive year, won La Liga uh, and the European Cup for the first time in 59 years, beating Man United in the UEFA Super Cup, thrashing Barcelona in the, in the Spanish Super Cup, that maybe the, the, the toll of all those games and then the fact that they had pretty uh, pretty uh, demanding pre-season as well is now starting to show and, and the fact that they do look fatigued and, and injuries are, are taking their toll and, and that's why we've ended up this sort of surprising situation where two months ago it seemed as if Real Madrid were flying and Barcelona were mired in crisis and now it looks like as if it's uh, Barcelona's league to lose. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, Madrid are eight points behind now. They've apparently never won the league from having been that far behind. But there was an um, amazing statistic about Ronaldo, which is that of all the strikers, of, of all the players to have scored in the top five leagues, he has got the worst uh, percentage. He's scored the worst percentage of his um, chances. He scored one goal from like 40 shots. So he's he's like the worst shooter in Europe at the moment. <laughs> what is going on? What is the problem there? But he's the best, Ken. Well, he's. The, I know. I know he's the best. I mean, this this is all just adding to the cruel irony of the situation. But what I mean, this is very unusual. Uh, I mean, okay, he he did. He he obviously had the suspension, which which kind of messed up the start of the season. But he probably should have um, got rolling a bit better than he is um, by now. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing with with Ronaldo, uh, I say he's the best of it sarcastically there, because I think for anyone who watches Spanish football. Um, week in week out, if you take it in, in performances and overall play, then there's no doubt that throughout not just the season but throughout the course of the year, um, Messi has been miles above anyone, you know, Ronaldo, Ronaldo included. But what Ronaldo tends to do is, even if he's not necessarily playing that well, he's always in the box and you can rely on him to to get on the end of things. And there was games last season, I think. I remember the 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 Bayern game at home in the Champions League where he ends up scoring a hat trick, but for 60, 70 minutes. He was terrible. You could clearly trap the ball, but he's always there. He always, you know, he has that that desire to get into the box, and and because he's playing for Real Madrid, you think he'd, he'd always get chances. I think he's suffering um, as much as as much as the rest of the team are from maybe lacking a bit of um, physical freshness. Although he had that sort of um, layoff at the start of the season because the, the suspension and that seems to have just kind of knocked him out of his stride a bit and. The other thing that's a bit, a bit curious and it'll be interesting to see Madrid's reaction when they play Spurs on, on Wednesday is that, again, we've seen this Real Madrid team them sort of saving themselves or saving their best performances for the Champions League. We sort of mean, by a, by a distance, their best performance since August was when they played Borussia Dortmund away and Ronaldo scored twice that night and looked like the Ronaldo that we've seen you know for the past, the past 10 years. So there may be some a mental block or a relaxation or some sort of complacency in La Liga, particularly going to to places like Girona because it's it's in the the smaller games where they've they've sort of messed up in La Liga so far, drawing home to Levante um after an international break, losing at home to, to Real Betis, losing again in Girona and, and some of the bigger games and some of the games where you expect them to struggle, they've actually played quite well and, and shown what a great team they can be on, on their day. So I think from that point of view, it'll be interesting to see what the reaction is on Wednesday. Yeah, I saw that there was a big um, sort of unionist demonstration in Barcelona over the weekend. Um, what's your What's your take on how things are developing there at the moment, Edgar? It's a few weeks since we spoke to you last about the whole situation I, in Spain. Yeah, I, I think that um, on, on this, this topic, the Barcelona manager Ernesto Valverde kind of has a a good way to look at it that it's hard to to make your mind up or, or form an opinion because the news is moving so rapidly that there's a major development not just every day it seems to be every hour um i i would say say that as that as that unionist demonstration in barcelona showed and today was the first working day since since home rule 
um, has been imposed. Everyone's kind of just waiting to see what will happen if the if the the, the separatist um, politicians will accept the the home rule or try to fight it, and then if they try to fight it, um, what happens? What happens then? My impression so far today is that, that everything's quite calm and the tension has has dropped a little bit. Obviously. From both the politics and the and a football point of view, the real build up now is to just before Christmas because there's regional elections have been called in, in Catalonia by the um, by the Spanish government for December twenty first, um, and then there's a classical just two days later. So that promises to be possibly one of the uh, the most political um, classicals of, of of modern times. But I think from a political point of view. A lot's kind of on hold until those those regional elections now as well, because if the pro independence parties win a majority in the Catalan uh, Parliament again, um, then we're almost sort of back to the start and and, and wondering what's going to happen, what's the next stage after that. Um, but at least they would have a bit more of a mandate. Whereas obviously, if the if the pro unionist parties were to win in the, in the Catalan government and the Catalan Parliament, sorry, um, then that would that would sort of knock the independence drive on the head for now. But obviously, I think it's something that it isn't going to go away. Even if even if the, the pro unionist parties won this election, it's something that's it's it's become such a, a hot topic, or it's become mm-hmm. such a emotional topic in in all parts of Spain, but particularly in Catalonia, that it's something that's going to going to go on for, for years and years to come. Ken had Colm Tobin in a couple of weeks ago, the Irish novelist, Kieran, who lived in Catalonia for a long time and gave a fairly enlightening account of, of his view on the situation there at the moment. But we did get a lot of people getting in touch with us after that, saying that they're based in Spain, in different parts of Spain, and that Colm Tobin's view and the view of a lot of people in this part of the world is too pro-Catalan, it's it's a little bit one-eyed about the whole thing. Is is there a grain of truth to that? Do you think? Are we? Is everybody? Has everybody just been been so shocked by the violence of a few weeks ago uh, that they saw on their TV screens that we're actually missing some of the nuances? Yeah, I, mean, I listened to that podcast and then I would agree with Ken's point in it that there's this sort of dismay from the the Spanish government, or the Spanish people in general, that they see themselves as having lost the the PR war and the the image of Spain abroad has been irreparably damaged by this and it's it's damaged because of those you say those those images of violence. Those images of violence spoke more loudly than all the talking and doing and throwing that's happened in the past the past few weeks from for people looking from the outside. I think where the where the story does get confused is the fact that this isn't just Spain you know, repress, repressing Catalonia, and, the, and the, the idea, I think that the idea still persists quite often that there is a a large majority of people in in Catalonia in favour of of independence. Which certainly the the fact that there certainly isn't a large majority, whether it's a majority or not, we don't know because there hasn't been a, a fully binding referendum where both sides have participated. But I think that that demonstration yesterday in Barcelona followed on for another one, a similar one a few weeks ago and there's always been this talk that actually in Catalonia there's a silent majority and the silent majority is, is the one that, that wants to remain in Spain um, and I think we'll see in these elections in December um, whether that, that is actually the, the truth and that, that the silent majority comes out to vote um, and wins and I think that's the bit where maybe you have get some sort of blowback in the sense that it's there's been there's definitely been faults on both sides in this, and I think that the the unilateral declaration of independence has been criticised politically pretty much by everyone, bar the separatists in Spain, even those that are more aligned to their cause. Um, the mayor of of um, Barcelona, who who um, we talked about on on that podcast, was generally quite left leaning. Even the Podemos party, it's quite socialist party that um, that has backed the referendum has criticized the the, the the unilateral declaration of independence because it's not gone through the proper the proper um means and and structures that are that are in place that the separatists are trying to run before they can walk um almost and I think that's why we'll see in these in these elections that are coming up if if they the pro independence parties do win and do win well then at least they'll have a bit more of a mandate um to move forward and to, to present that to not just the rest of Spain, but the rest of Europe, because at the moment um, the EU and, and no other European country has, has backed the, the unilateral declaration of independence. All right, well, it's fascinating stuff. Kieran, brilliant. Thank you. Cheers, guys. 
playing for them in the final because Borussia Dortmund had recalled him and he's and he has since made a debut in the Bundesliga for Borussia Dortmund. Like he left um, Man City for Dortmund because they were like, "We'll play you," or you know, "You we might play you." We're City were like, "To be fair, Jaden, this is going to be difficult for us." So you know, uh, it it does look as though they've got some some uh, some talent. Well, more players should just go. They should. Go to Dortmund, go to these other places, why not? Absolutely, there's no point in just sticking around because yeah. that's the only way that you get respect from a Premier League club in a sense, you know, Jaden, if Jaden Sancho could come back to England next season having played, you know, having come on 10 times for Dortmund and suddenly he's in a much better position than he was when he was just a youth player. So, I think the the sort of, I mean, obviously English players have never really wanted to leave. Mostly they just want to stay. They don't know languages and it's a bit different from, you know, if you're Dutch or Belgian, you grow up, or Irish, you know, you grow up with this sense of, mm. well, I'll, I'll probably have to leave. They don't really have that sense. But, you know, maybe... They didn't used to win all of these underage tournaments either. So, mm. you know, that's, <laughs> like, that's the... Like the underage tournaments don't make all that much difference, but they do show... They do show potential. I mean, you, you you know, you look at all the past underage tournaments and you occasionally see, oh, it was like Sergio Aguero or Cesc Fabregas or someone like this did really well at this tournament. And there's always going to be some players who do make it. But, you know, oftentimes, equally, you look at a winning team and see a list of names that you don't recognise. Underage, winning those underage tournaments is obviously not a guarantee for an individual or for a team or a country. But it's not a bad start. And if you're it's very hard to be successful without having some measure of looking at your youth teams and seeing that things are being done right there. Yeah, mm. even and, institutionally, yeah. it means quite a bit. You know, that, that okay, we're not screwing up massively here. We're obviously doing something right in the development of the game. Maybe really it just means in six years' time, it's going to be thrown in the face of some underperforming <laughs> England manager. <laughs> that could that's be the, of it, yeah. uh, To be honest, that's probably where it's going to come back most <laughs> in our consciousness over the next decade I can or see so. Chris Waddle involved I mean, somewhere in the criticism. Yeah. Timbuktu. <laughs> 1,000 episode of the Second Captain's Podcast is coming up this very week, only available on the World Service. We're looking forward to it. Thanks for listening today. Enjoy the rest of your day at Bank Holiday. If, well, if it's a Bank Holiday where you are. Thanks, Ken. Thank you. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, all. Thanks, Thank Ken. Thanks, Minnie. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys.